0: Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Another edition on a game day for the Canucks. They're in Minnesota to take on the Wild. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All Star team. Avenue Machinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Drantz. You said this to me after the show yesterday. At least we're not doing the same show today. Because they didn't blow a lead last night. They didn't blow a lead and lose a game last night. So it's a slightly different show than we've been doing already this week. We're saving that show for tomorrow. For tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe. We're saving that show for Although tomorrow. Although, as I said yesterday, there are actual, actually other ways to lose a game, too. Yeah. That don't involve blowing a lead, right? Sure. Like That is possible. So it could be a different show, even with a loss.
1: I mean, I'd like to have a more positive lead-in, but... As with everything else around the Vancouver Canucks at the moment, if we have a good
0: lead, I'm worried we'll blow it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> with, uh, uh, hold on, oh, <laughs> I got to say, I got to pay the bills of that. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And, of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. It's... it. it Feels like another big game
1: for the Vancouver Canucks. The home side rolls into the XL Energy Center, a classic house of horrors yep. for the franchise to face a Minnesota Wild team that's also winless and is far better, far better team than the Vancouver Canucks. This is an elite team that just has not been able to get a save. They're already six goals below expected in their first three games. Um, You know, it's... One of those ones where you can easily count the Canucks out, and we know that this team, it feels like the, their specialty is to pull those out. That said, I, I sort of thought that they'd lose in Philly and win out this week, so um, <laughs> maybe take that with a grain of salt. The Canucks can beat the Wild at the end of the day. You've got Thatcher, Demko, and Net. I, I don't care what he's played like to this point. You always go into every game where you've got Thatcher, Demko, and Net. Pretty confident that you're going to see Thatcher, Demko, and Net. I actually had this conversation at uh, the bar last night. Someone said, if Steph Curry never hit another three, just like suddenly Steph Curry couldn't hit another three, how long would it take the Warriors to stop running plays for him? Yeah, or for teams to stop guarding him on the perimeter. 35 games? Oh, yeah. Like Thatcher Demko would have to play poorly for a lot longer than three games before I'm worried about Thatcher Demko or saying that the Canucks don't have an edge in net in almost every game that Thatcher Demko plays so long as they're not playing Tampa Bay and the New York Rangers. So, you know... You got Demko that always gives you a a good shot. You've got a lot of one-shot scoring talent. You've got a power play that can threaten. You've got a defense that can't move the puck. And that's sort of where I get a little worried because that's the biggest distinction between the Wild and the Vancouver Canucks is the Wild have a ton of puck-moving players who can both threaten offensively And move the puck to beat Vancouver's forecheck. This is a tough matchup for the Canucks as a result. This wild team is bigger than them. They're faster than them. They're more skilled than them. And they move the puck better from the back end. So it's a big test. At some point, this team's going to win. Like At some point, this Mm -hmm. team's going to stabilize their game. It's almost not about what happens now for me. I mean, this is a big game because you don't want to come into the home opener winless. You know that would that would be a, a tough spot to be. Depressing starting point. Very very tough spot to be in for this club. Plus, I think Buffalo, and I've been saying this all along, I think Buffalo is a tougher matchup for the Canucks than they seem on paper. And then you play the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes aren't on a second leg of a back to back on that game. That's always a tough game. And then you're playing on the road against a Seattle Kraken team that everyone in this city thinks the Canucks are better than, and they probably are better than, to be totally honest with you. And yet the Kraken are winning games. Like, the Kraken just played the St. Louis Blues really tough, got them to OT despite falling behind. Um, so, you know, the next week for the Canucks, and we'll talk to Dmitry Filipovich about it too, shapes up to be kind of imposing and imposing in a particular way designed to create consternation and histrionics <laughs> in this market, right? Like, losing to Buffalo hurts more. In your home opener. Oh, you're right. That that would hurt. When you're still winless. <laughs> that would hurt, right? Right. Losing to Seattle would hurt, right? Like those are those are really scary losses or scary games on the schedule from the wince and brace perspective of what this season could look like this early on. If the Canucks don't get it turned around, so tonight looms large, and they're playing a superior club. Like they're playing a superior club in a building they've tended to struggle in on the road. Um, you know, at some point, we just hope that they give us something different to talk to, uh, to or talk about. Because, you know, this season was always built. Once they did the Miller extension, right? My analysis of that deal, our analysis on this show pretty consistently has been that's a deal that's going to limit the ceiling for Vancouver over the long haul. But it ups their chances of being good this year. And Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll get a couple of seasons of fun hockey out of this group that they've built. Well, to this point, it hasn't been much fun. In fact, it's been zero fun. Yep. I, I I would love to see the Canucks just play a fun game, give their fans something to settle down about. You know, not, not
0: even, like, something to cheer about, just something to settle down about. Because at this point, a win would be a relief. Something to feel like the season is stabilizing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, st- rather than continuing to spiral. And something that
1: shows real progress as opposed to that fake progress that the players and coaches and organization had to invent from the Columbus game to stop from just, like, being truly hopeless, right? And fair enough. You know, by the way, I I don't begrudge a team being like, uh, we can build off this <laughs> when it's completely unconvincing, but that Columbus defensive performance was brutal. There's nothing to build off there, not nothing material, right? Today you hope that they can actually produce something to build off of uh, as this season feels like it's spinning you know, early
0: out of control. Uh, we'll dig more into the matchup with the Wild throughout the course of the show. As you mentioned, Dmitry Filipovich from the PDO cast will join us to look at the Wild, uh, also some of the Canucks' future opponents coming up as well. We'll get the inside scoop from Dimitri. Uh, just a couple of quick lineup notes. Niels Hoaglander is going to be a healthy scratch tonight. Think we'll tonight. get into that. We will talk more about that later. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux on that as well. Tucker Poolman set to be a game time decision. He was not on the ice at morning skates. So we'll talk about all of that later in the show. Uh, again, 5 o'clock puck drop for against the Wild. Sat and Reach will have your pregame show at 4. Sat and Bick on your post-game coverage. Of course, Batch and deep on the call here on 650. But I did want to start with something not specifically game-related, because I think it's very fascinating, and there's a lot to unpack here. Jim Rutherford, Canucks President of Hockey Operations, and again, as we've talked about, you know, this was not a press conference, but at some point, when the, t- when the season starts like this, your senior leadership has to weigh in and has to address it. And Jim Rutherford has done that uh, to our colleague, uh, at Sportsnet to Ian McIntyre, so there's no audio of these comments, but you can go read them in IMAX piece up at Sportsnet.ca right now. And I'll Are read, you going to be our humble narrator? I, and I will read, read a you just a little bit of what Jim Rutherford had to say. Well, I'll we'll, we'll go. I'll do. I'll read a couple quotes here first. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll get will into you, some will of you the pick, other. Ones. Will
1: you pick? Like, what are you voicing over for for our? Is it a is it a highlight package of Canucks players looking frustrated? There's like a <laughs> like a, a, a twenty years from now talking head documentary yeah. about <laughs> about the Canucks. Oh oh, maybe you're the voice in the part of the montage where like the uh, sports executive is like stressed and in their car, you know, <laughs> and it's like the little bit of sports talk radio <laughs> snippet is like stressing them out yeah, yeah, on yeah, their yeah, drive yeah, home, yeah. and you know, right before they turn it around. Yes, that's exactly. what you are about to do.
0: Um, all right so here is G- uh, Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford. Nobody likes to lose, but don't give the game away. Make the other team take it from you. We've had too much of giving the game back instead of the opposing team earning it back. But I'm not totally surprised at what's happening. I've talked about this since I came to Vancouver and what I've seen with this team. We have good players here, but how do you become a winning team? It's about playing the game the right way and playing with good habits. <laughs> it really, really jumped out at me. To hear the president of hockey operations, the top senior decision maker, say after the team has blown four straight leads to start the season, not totally surprised. Yeah, no, I can see it. That that makes sense to me with this team. Look, I want to note before I go off
1: here, because Jim Rutherford had... Enormous amount of success in Pittsburgh. He had a a lot of success in Carolina intermittently, including winning a Stanley Cup in in 2006. It's a storied career. I'd add two for context that the first year that he had in Pittsburgh, almost everything he touched went badly, including the head coaching hire, Mike Johnston, right? After he tried to and and couldn't hire Willie Desjardins, who Trevor Linden seized out of Pittsburgh right before – Desjardins was about to interview for that job. So it's like he missed Mm -hmm. on his first-choice coach and his second-choice coach, right? A lot of their player personnel decisions didn't work, and from then on, they got oriented in the right way and and made a handful of killer moves, the Kessel trade, the Bonino trade, and won two straight Stanley Cups. So I'm willing, based on that track record, to extend a little bit of patience to Jim Rutherford. He's shown that he can turn it around, and he's shown that maybe first years... Maybe he's the type of guy who just takes a little bit to settle in, but you cannot in any way swallow in this marketplace, the commentary that I'm not surprised after the Canucks signed JT Miller before the season and trade a second round pick for the cap benefit and the flexibility benefit of this team, short-term benefit of this team, right? Until then, I think this organization could credibly say we've been dealt a bad hand The flat cap is really impinging on our ability to make the changes we want, right? This is going to take some time. We need some patience. We're being conservative in playing our bad hand. The moment you hand out a $56 million commitment to a 29-year-old player and then trade a second-round pick, granted a 20-24 second, for the short-term cap benefit of your team, the moment you do those two things, you are in win-now mode and the organization and their management team must be judged directly for the performance of this group, right? This group now has Jim Rutherford's stamp on it, right? Jim Rutherford is responsible for their performance to make win-now moves and then not be surprised by an 0-3-1 start. I don't think that's an... Like, I don't think we can just hear that and not point out that it's wild. Like, wild. Something that
0: fans should be deeply concerned to hear. It's just really tough to square not being surprised. It's one and look, we've heard a lot from Jim Rutherford that's been critical of the team. If you're right? not
1: surprised by this team being performing poorly, then why are you extending its key players and further hamstringing your ability to change direction? Like that that
0: doesn't make sense. And why are you We can't what? just say that that's a normal thing. That's not it doesn't make sense. Why was the messaging that we expect this team to make the playoffs, to be good, right? Like w- it's just really hard to square that commentary, which again is not an anomaly. It's not as if this is the first time we've heard Jim Rutherford voice critiques and questions about the upside of this team, the winning habits, the culture. Right? That's been pretty consistent oh, since he's sure. hired,
1: and and so has the concern about cap flexibility, and so has the concern about the defense. Although Jim Rutherford's also publicly said that he thought the defense was, you know, at least pra- like like at least workable, at least workable. But privately, this this team has gone about and, and knows how big an issue the defense is and how, how quickly it needs to upgrade. The fact remains is that if this club was not going to be surprised by their early, by their by this team struggling, then they shouldn't have conducted their first summer the way they did, right? like this they' they ran another win now summer. This team ran another win now summer. they signed another five million dollar middle six forward. They, they signed a core piece for 56 million dollars. Like they're committed to this group. They have to be judged off the performance of this group. Rutherford might not have built this team entirely, but he decided to enable them to proceed with continuity. That's on him. Like he he wears this. Alvin wears this. This is not Benning's team yeah. that they inherited. This is Benning's team that they've rubber stamped. And so and to have n- declined to make any changes any really, material except changes for
0: too. some additions here or there but no well
1: and additions in terms of long-term cap commitments that are going to limit this team's ability to move forward right like this team needs to is it as it, in its current iteration be at least in the mix for a playoff spot or you're a win now team that's not winning like say say this team doesn't stabilize and ends up Low 70s point totals. I want to note in in outlining this hypothetical, Jamie, I think they're going to settle and be a high 80s, Mm -hmm. low 90s point team. My view of what this team is has actually not fundamentally changed yet through four games, particularly because there's been enough in terms of their five-on-five game. Their forwards, most games, have looked more dynamic than their opponents. And I think Thatcher is going to start stealing them games, at least over the course of like a a short stretch of games. You're going to see multiple dominant months from Thatcher Demko over the course of the season. Put that together, that's enough to be a a 90-plus point team for me. So I want to say, this is not me... I'm, I'm outlining a hypothetical. Say things really went off the rails over the balance of the season. And the Canucks, somehow... For the first time in franchise history, win the lottery and draft the Canucks super fan from North Vancouver, who happens to be a generational sniper. Like, say that happened, best case scenario, right? They wouldn't be positioned to compete over the course of his entry level deal because of the decisions made in previous summers and added to to further inhibit this club's ability to improve quickly this past summer. Like, that's brutal. That's hard to swallow, right? Like, that's a hard thing. That's the meanest thing I can say about this organization. Frankly, it is. But I don't see any other way forward. And so, to not be surprised with all of the additional resources that this organization has marshaled
0: for the benefit of the short term, I think that's really hard to wrap your head around. I want to read some of the other comments that Jim Rutherford made. And this specifically was in a question from IMAC about How long can you kind of keep believing before you have to consider making some changes? Here's what Rutherford said. I don't want to put any certain time on it, but I don't think judging where a team is after a five-game road trip would be fair. We just have to build in the right direction. He goes on to say, the way that the game is played today, giving up the leads, giving up leads in the league happens a lot because it's harder to defend with how much tighter they call the game, how you play defense in this league. But to have it happen four games in a row, that's not something that happens to team. We just have to get to the point, and I saw it in Columbus, where we play with a lot better habits. So to be fair, he is perhaps tempering his criticism a little bit by saying, hey, look, I'm not going to judge this team after a five-game road trip, which is fair. I, I, that's that's I completely agree with, fair point. I agree with everything in that second Completely, part. completely fair point. The only,
1: thing, the only thing that stands out to me is something that, I'm, I mean, I think really deserves being scrutinized is the I'm not surprised, right? If you're not surprised, you don't double down on this team the way that the Canucks did. Right, and and if you are, if you are not expecting much from this team, then it doesn't make sense to have conducted your business the way that this team did this offseason. Like that's the part that I, I think you can scrutinize. I think he's right about the. I mean, I I made that argument yesterday. I think he's right about the blown leads being like the Canucks. You're going to see record. More, yeah, you're going to see it more often. That that's more a reflection of where the game is at today than it is of this team's unique inability to play defensive hockey. Uh, in my view, um, the thing he said too about waiting to judge a team based off a five game road trip i agree with that as well i haven't adjusted my basic view that this team should be um you know in and around that sort of 90 point range the only thing that's kind of changed is that having started like this i don't expect them to perform at the level where you'd get to 95 points over the balance because that's a 98 point pace like i never saw this team as a 98 point team I see them as a you know mid-90s point team that's now had a slow start, so I've, I've downgraded my assessment a little bit in that I expect them to still perform at that level over the balance, and that makes you a 92-point team, a 93-point team. My, my declaration that I'd take the over on the Canucks 92.5 points, that I'm feeling a little nervous about, but that's about <laughs> it, right? That's a pretty modest change. I think Rutherford's right to be being patient in analyzing the team. I just cannot square how this, especially this team's moves since late August, the JT Miller deal plus the Dickinson-Stillman trade,
0: do those do not square with an executive who's not shocked to mm-hmm. see this team struggle. The other thing that stands out to me about the commentary is the continued, you know, he says, we have good players here, but how do you become a winning team? It's about playing the game the right way and playing with good habits. And then he echoes that again. You know, we just have to get to the point. We saw it in Columbus where we play, with a lot better habits. I can, you know, I I understand the sentiment and I agree with it that your best players have to do some of that, you know, to borrow your expression, Dranser, leveling up, developing as pros and becoming players that have those habits that are, you know, quote unquote winning players. But I think that's a necessary part of turning this team into a Stanley Cup contender. I don't think that's a sufficient part of turning this team into a Stanley Cup contender. And I guess the question for me is what's the plan to win with this core players? Is it simply to kind of hope that they develop into winning players with better habits? Or are you actually going to make some tough decisions to improve the rosters in other ways? And even beyond that, you know, is it because it can't just be look, Elias Petterson and Quinn Hughes, uh, you know, they're gonna learn to be better pros and, and they're gonna have those habits and then everything else will flow from that. That's not gonna cut it. There's other things that need to happen. And When you're only ever talking now about the habits, yeah, that's important, but you got to improve the team on the ice and improve the talent level on the ice as well. Then the other thing I would say is, well, if it's so important, and that's the number one thing that needs to happen for these players to learn those habits, right, to develop into winning players, are they being put in the best position to do that? Are they being supported in doing that? What is the concrete plan you're putting into place to make that happen, to facilitate that happening? Because I look at having another coach in the final year of his contract. Is that the best environment to turn a team that you don't think knows how to play winning hockey into a professional, you know, high culture, high character team? Oh, or where were the
1: free agent signings, you know, who, who might actually make an impact here? And, you know, I'm not advocating for a beagle Roussel redux, but, you know, there, there are moves. There are teams that have guys who've won cups that would love to move off those deals. Uh, there were guys available in free agency who you could have brought in, who know how to win. Uh, You know, you think about a guy like Anton Strallman, right? Um, They had Danny DeKaiser, who went late in the playoffs many times during his Red Wings tenure. They didn't sign him. He didn't play well. I don't think they should have signed him. But, you know, would that not benefit the organization if habits are the issue, if maturity is the issue? I mean, if maturity and habits were the issue, then why has the team further committed to the core while bringing in you know, sort of depth players from other organizations as opposed to guys who could fundamentally teach and change the aura, the patina of, um, you know, a a harder mentality to play against around this team, right? And we talked about it yesterday. We talked about the Blankenberg hit on Pod Colson and just the look on his face when he came up, right? Getting up quickly and looking to see if anyone's coming to get him and no one came to get him, right? And it's just like, I don't know, uh, you know, you, you... to some extent, you want that to be an internal thing that just a team has. I don't think you can fix that by going and getting Mason Girtson. You know, like you mm-hmm. need to, you need to be doing that as a team all the time. Um, I don't know. Like, I, what steps have been taken to to facilitate? It? I think you're right that- because the coach, the coaching situation, the conservative offseason, doubling down on the players that they have, uh, not extending the captain. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about? It just at what point at what point does rutherford and alvins evasiveness in terms of explaining what their plan is in combination with the fact that their moves don't match their public commentary imply that the no plan plan never left town it's the it's we're the, we're getting there It's the passivity more
0: for, more than anything for me,
1: right? And this text comes in. Uh, are you are you telling me that winning in the NHL is not yes. a passive activity? Because
0: uh, J- I love to hear this it. This text comes in. Uh, Jim Rutherford said when he took over, we have to make hard decisions. What hard decisions did he make? The argument that trades couldn't be made is nonsense. How did Trey Living address the loss of Goudreau in a week by making a hard decision to move k- Kachuk? And he says, for once, I agree with Drance. uh LOL. And. Again, okay, let's even, just for the sake of argument, accept that the number one issue here, because I think it's a strong argument, is habits, culture, whatever you want to call it, learning to be winning players. What has been done? What has been done to help that process? I can't really identify anything that has that has been done. As you said, you just listed a bunch of things that could, in fact, be working in the opposite direction, so... Sure. If you want to talk about the habits instead of the right side of the defense. Okay. Fair enough. We can have that conversation, but I still don't see exactly how it's supposed to have added up so far. And if, like, what are you waiting for? Now now would seem like a great time to make some moves that are going to help that. Uh, quickly, I know we got to take a break here, but tons and tons of texts coming in on this. Uh, Brendan in Nanaimo says Rutherford didn't say he's not surprised about the 03 1 sp- start. He says he's not surprised at how the team is mentally weak and not playing the right way. He says isolating the Miller deal and the McKayev deal doesn't make him hypocritical. But I think the point is I didn't
1: say I didn't call him a hypocrite. Yeah.
0: I want to be very clear about that. I
1: said, if
0: this team's not ready to win, why are you adding those commitments to it? And I think if if you <laughs> that if you make look sense. at this team and think they're mentally weak and aren't playing the right way, why haven't more changes been made? Yeah, right. Uh, but that, uh, that's the question. That's the ultimate question for me. Well, if, and if you're not if you don't
1: believe that this group can play to win, why are you bolstering it? Like, why are you leaving it intact? Why are you, in fact, making it harder to disassemble? Right? Why are you adding these commitments when a group that doesn't win that implies to me that if you're going to make a team that's going to win, you better be able to reset. You better be able to change direction. And the Canucks have inhibited their ability to do that under Rutherford's watch. So the idea that he's not fully invested in this group or or confident in their ability to win games, it's like, you better be. <laughs> you just signed $70 million worth of
0: commitments to bolster it. Yeah. it's just—it just it's It really, just doesn't make sense. It's really hard to square. This team is mentally weak and they don't know how to win. And we're keeping them together. Right? Like that it's really <laughs> hard for me to square those two things. Yeah. And if you're going to do it, you better have a really detailed, really compelling plan for how you're gonna fix the mental issues. Like you better be on top of that. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to help them get over it, right? We haven't heard that yet. And and so when you say you're not surprised by it, I think there's understandably gonna be a lot of pushback and, and questions about those comments. I, I'm not I'm not surprised.
1: I'm not surprised that this group that I've vouched for and paid luxuriously
0: is bad. Uh, (laughs) Come on. We can't accept that. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Plenty of you have already weighed in, not surprisingly. This one's a conversation starter. Keep on texting in. We will talk about tonight's opponent, the Minnesota Wild, some of the other opponents coming up for the Canucks uh, with our pal Dimitri Filipovich, who hosts the PDO cast. That's next on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Uh The 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line is blowing up with thoughts and comments and questions about Jim Rutherford and his comments about, about the Canucks, and McIntyre. We'll get back into that conversation but now we are very pleased to be joined uh, by friend of the show, host of the Hockeypedio cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network, Dmitry Filipovich. How's it going, man?
2: Uh, it's going well. It's going well. I was just on um, because of the early Canucks game. They, yes. they moved my show to before you guys. So it's Love nice it. to just stick around and chat a little bit. I Thanks came in and there us. was
0: somebody else in the prep room and I was like this is insane. This is normally just my space to hang out and stretch out and do whatever I want. I wasn't used to it. But well, it's nice. Nice I'll, to have a little company.
2: I was watching Minnesota Wild Tape to to get ready there for you go. well
1: that's and that's it. what we want to talk to you about because the okay. Minnesota Wild are winless and I have high expectations for them this season. Right. What's gone wrong? What should Canucks fans expect yeah, someone, this evening?
2: Someone has to win tonight. Someone has to win. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I certainly didn't expect this. Like, I think both you and I were pretty high on them heading into the season. Yep. We just did our watchability rankings, and we had them in the top five, I believe. And yep. I think that would have surprised people because the Minnesota Wild had this reputation for years of being like a slow, plug. The Minnesota Wild. Exactly. Um, they've been anything but. They've given up 20 goals against in three <laughs> games, which certainly is not at great the, at the extreme end of things. Now, part of it is... Just unsustainably bad goaltending, regardless of your mileage on Marc-Andre Fleury at this point in his career. No goalie is going to save less than 80% of the shots they face. So I think that's going to rebound for them. Unless they play for the Devils. Well, even then, I think Mackenzie Blackwood (laughs) can aspire to slightly higher than that. But um, I would say that the defensive breakdowns have been bad. They've also played the Rangers, the Avalanche, and the Kings, three playoff teams are once again going to be good this season so i know those games have been at home in minnesota and, and The
0: kings are scoring more than i think they, they are yeah thought they well would. and the rangers are running rough shot the rangers are and... actually good yeah yes. and we yeah. know what colorado is capable of when they're on their game do we? Obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so how
1: much of it is opponents how much of it is goaltending how much of their early season struggles do you expect to translate tonight
2: well here's the thing their worst players have been their best players, right? they're getting outscored 6 nothing at 5-on-5 five five with Kirill Kaprizov and Ooh. Matt Zuccarello on the ice. That's something that you certainly wouldn't expect to continue. Jonas Brodine's been on the go- ice for seven goals against already yeah, in 5-on-5. That's not going to continue. Nope. So you figure that would kind of bright itself at some point here. Um, the defensive breakdowns, as I said, have been quite bad. The effort's been poor. It's been a very slow, sluggish start to the year for them. And the goaltending, like Marc-Andre Fleury, who I believe is starting tonight, right? Yeah. He's been... Swimming around there and he kind of, it's like the worst version of kind of the caricature of Marc-Andre Fleury. Now throughout his career, we know he especially has high peaks and valleys in his performance. And so you could tell me he could get pulled after three shots again, three goals against in the first five minutes or he could have a 48-save shutout. I believe both as
0: realistic outcomes. Well, the Canucks tend to be dangerous early. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> um, it's wild to hear that stat about Kaprizov, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, last year, you know, kind of fringe heart trophy guy, one of the most exciting players to watch in the league. It, from what you've seen from the tape you've watched, like, is that just puck luck that's going to bounce back, or is there something else uh, afoot with Kirill Kaprizov?
2: Yeah, I, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they're still scoring goals. They're averaging four goals for... Uh, per game so far this season as well. They scored 12 in, in three games. So I, I, they're going to get theirs. I'd imagine it's going to be a very uh, high-scoring environment mm-hmm. in tonight's game. I believe Elliot Friedman was on earlier. I was with yep. him and he was saying, uh, if you partake in such things, hit the over. I'm I'm with him. Although, of course, as we know in the NHL, whenever you, you're leaning so yes. strongly that way, it's going to be a 2-1 game and we're going to be like, what?
0: These aren't the two teams we're expecting to see am i am i crazy because i know a lot of people were really really high in the wild and i was as well to Mm -hmm. be honest but i will say just digging into this one a little bit beforehand so they've got some offensive players i really like obviously kaprizov i want to talk about matt boldy you know bringing in a young player like marco rossi i also see a lot of guys who had kind of like career year type years last year and maybe even unsustainable years right with ryan hartman felino freddie goudreau is there maybe a little bit more downside to the offensive production from the forward group and those guys can still be effective players even right if they're not putting up those types of points but is there maybe a little bit more downside to the the offensive production of the forward group than at least i was anticipating or some of us were anticipating going into the year i mean there was a, a relative unknown with this group
2: because of their cap situation where 15 percent of their cap is tied up in in ryan uh in ryan studer and zach parise's buyouts they had to essentially just let Kevin Fiala go for futures, and it didn't really replace him in the lineup. They kind of took shots on guys like Sam Steele and stuff and hoping to kind of get get more out of them than they've gotten earlier in their careers. I still like this group a lot offensively. I think that combination of Kaprizov and Zuccarello in particular is one of, like in terms of chemistry, one of the best duos in the league. I have really high hopes for Matt Boldy. The surprising part, Tom, has been Marco Rossi, who...
1: Yeah, over under five and a half minutes for Marco Rossi tonight. I
2: mean, I think it... over just because of how comically strange his users has been so far where he's been a healthy scratch he's going like 10 minutes at a time without even seeing a shift I mean it's, it's preposterous for a team that has the opportunity down the middle for him to thrive
1: yeah well and and I guess the only thing is that it looks like they have eight wingers in their <laughs> bottom six right so it's easy I suppose to spell him and just give Tyson Jost like a, a shift for example um how so the Canucks are gonna scratch Niels Hoaglander yep. today? Uh, in part, I think because there's an awareness uh, of the big, scary, strong team that the Wild can be even without Nick Delorier. Um <laughs> how how badly, based on what you've seen of the Canucks, do the Wild match up with them? Like from a Vancouver perspective? How how nervous should Canucks fans be about the matchup with the big bad Minnesota Wild?
2: I mean, I think it'll be fine, right? You you, you kind of have where on the one hand they can be um, very aggressive in of... a rush attack
0: dim your uh your mic is just cutting out there we'll get that fixed up uh in just a second here and get you back on the show uh <laughs> just having a little bit of technical difficulties here in the studio but we'll uh we'll get that sorted out again 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line it is canucks talk and yeah the marco rossi thing is interesting as well because you know i remember when matt boldy came in midway through last year and they just immediately started playing him a ton and he rewarded them with you know incredible production. And he's a really exciting uh, young player, but it's not as if Dean Evason has shown like a reluctance to play no. offensively talented young players in his lineup, you and, know,
1: he hasn't. And I would expect Rossi to be an impact player for them down the line. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of fits and starts, young player deployment across the league at the moment. It's not just um, Rossi. It's also Slavkovsky. In Montreal, it's also Shane Wright, very notably, with the Seattle Kraken. So, you know, sometimes this happens particularly early in the year with guys who uh, teams are just sort of trying to get a look at and see whether they'll keep them beyond nine games. Uh, back to the wild matchup in particular for the Canucks with Dmitry Filipovich here. Dim, what dangers it does this matchup pose from a Canucks perspective?
2: Yeah, I mean, when you have the top line out there with Zuccarello and Caprizov in particular, they're going to transition incredibly quickly and try to beat you off the rush, right? Then, when you get the combination of whether when fully know and Joel Erickson X right. or even Matt Boldy who can play off the rush, but they're much more methodical in terms of they're going to try to get the puck deep, win a possession, win a board battle, get it back out, try to get it to the net. Like, this is a team that isn't necessarily super selective like the St. Louis Blues in terms of like really fine tuning and looking only for high danger chances, but they've historically been a team that gets the puck into high-danger areas and shoots from there as opposed to just littering with point shots. So it's going to be a pretty difficult matchup because they can beat you in so many different ways, and they have such kind of unique personnel that they can do so in those like two or three different facets.
1: The one thing that really seems to trouble the Canucks is defensive groups that can move the puck. Mm-hmm. Um, Kalen Addison will yep. play tonight. Right, What's he brought to the wild defense?
2: Yeah, I mean he's been fantastic, and yeah. this is kind of exactly what we just wanted to see. I thought he was ready last year, and just because of the glut of players they had, and because of you know coaches typically, as you said, don't really trust young players all that often, he had to t- wait his turn. Um, but no, he, he he's looked incredible, and this is a, it, it, when they're right. The Wild are a really smooth offensive team. Mm-hmm. It feels like similar to their goalie. We were saying with Flurry though, they have these peaks and valleys where when they're off, they can kind of be very choppy and stuff so I'm very curious to see what side of that we see I I, I'm just expecting them to turn around because there's too much talent here so unfortunately I think the Canucks are drawing them at a time where they're kind of ready to turn the corner here
1: with let's move let's move ahead because after on the other side of this wild game and the Canucks will hope that they don't come home winless after a five-game road trip for their home opener against a Buffalo Sabres team that I suspect based on the recent history of that franchise Canucks fans will be looking at that game and thinking, free two-point night. Is it free two-point night against the Buffalo Sabres this season? Absolutely not.
2: No, this is this is a good team. Yeah. I mean, the other night in Edmonton, they were, I'd say, fortunate to come away with those two points just because Eric Connery sort of stuck on it, st- st- sat on his head or st- stood, stood on, on his head. head. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever the he was saying th- whatever is. Whatever posture he was he in. He was using his head to make saves. He was all <laughs> over the place. He was remarkable. Um, so that, that necessarily isn't an indication of this team's ability to control the play, but I think this is definitely a team that's trending upwards. Like, this isn't the Buffalo Sabres where, as you said, you kind of come in, see them on the schedule, and you're like, all right, those are two points we'll get right here. Like, this is a team that can beat you in in many different ways and, and has a lot of young talent. Like, what I'm seeing from Rasmus Dahlin is an extension of what he did at the end of last
0: year, and it's the player that everyone fell in love with and the reason why he went first overall in his draft uh, in conversation with Dimitri Filipovich here the host of the PDO cast uh, on Canucks talk sorry to cut you off there Drafton, no but I, I did just want to jump in all good because looking ahead to the Buffalo game one of the players I'm most excited to watch in action against the Canucks this year Owen Power mm. uh, who was really sensational and entertaining when he
1: came into well, the league and last I liked year the, I liked the work of his defense partner last year
0: nick blankenberg the other night so <laughs> uh what have you seen from owen power and what do you what should uh, canucks fans expect to see from him on saturday
2: yeah he's kind of this like new wave defender right i'm not expecting every player that comes into the league to be a 6-6 behemoth Six who can also incredibly agile and... exactly yeah. yeah that's an unrealistic <laughs> expectation but in terms of the way he processes what's going out on the ice where he attacks so aggressively like you'll see him in the offensive zone below the goal line more than pretty much any other defenseman in the league. He pinches remarkably well already. He anticipates where the play is going. So what I've been really impressed by, like, he can – you know skate backwards he has long reach he can be physical he can do all that without the puck but actually his play with the puck in terms of the offensive zone is something that i've really enjoyed so far in his career and that's something you typically don't see young defenders come into the league and just immediately pick
0: that up on the fly he's got a long way to go but just uh hearing that description right there kind of reminds me of like kevin durant in the nba where just just be seven feet and a dead eye three-point shooter it's not that complicated just do it it's like oh wait actually that's incredibly rare to have that combination well and
1: Sort of. That's what I'm curious to see when the Buffalo Sabers roll into Vancouver because mm-hmm. they've got Owen Power now, who unicorn style, six foot six, great skater, good offensive instincts on the back end. But how about a six foot seven center who's also going to be the fastest guy on the ice in Tage Thompson? Except for, I guess he's not going to be the fastest guy on he's the ice because yeah. he plays with Alex Tuck, who's yeah. six foot five and actually the fastest person on the ice and maybe the second fastest skater with the puck in there uh, in control, uh, aside from Connor McDavid. How, what matchup issues do those players pose particularly if you're a team that may i don't know maybe is a little bit limited in terms of their foot speed on the back end
2: yeah. Yeah. Alex Tuck's going to be a problem. I mean, and they do such a good job of whether it's himself kind of poking it away and then going to retrieve it or Jeff Skinner just throwing it into space and allowing him to use that speed. Yeah. Like, they've already found that chemistry. That line between Skinner, Tuck, and, and Thompson is their top
1: five remarkable. most fun line to watch in the league.
2: So fun. Like, such different skill sets that have come together and gotten the most out of each other. I actually also really like what I see, not from the size element, but JJ J. Paterka in his first couple of games here as well, as showing impressive. kind of like a playmaking dynamic. So, this is a good team. I mean, you know, they didn't even have Jack, Jack Quinn in there yet. Like, this i think the sabers team
0: is going to be for real in a couple of years here. yeah
1: well and I, I think they could be at least the fifth best team in the
0: in their division yeah which is a really good division it's a really yeah. good division. what did you make of the matthias samuelsson uh, extension or from earlier in the year
2: you know what i made of it um i i saw a lot of people who have probably never watched matthias samuelsson in, <laughs> li- in, their, in their life commenting as if they're uh player evaluators like listen it, it's bold in terms of how small a sample at the nhl he has to his name but we've seen teams operate this way, right? It's like, you have them in there. You've seen them personally. You like what you have. You're like, let's yeah. Like the cap's going to be going up here. We know the defensemen like that are hot commodities. Like if you can get a young player like that to sign at that term, you almost do that every day. Like the downside of it is, is so small. Cause at that cap figure, even if he's like a third pairing guy for you with, with penalty killing duties, you'll be able to like move him down the road. It's not a problem.
1: Well, and at that age, you still have three more years where if it really goes awry early, you can buy him out at the one third, yep. you know, and I mean, that's the other thing we don't talk about much. But when you go long on a guy who's under the age of 25, you still have some time to make up for that mistake before it really costs you. Let's look ahead. Monday of next week, Dimitri's favorite team. Oh, no. The Carolina Hurricanes roll into town with their brand of Having, uh, you know, I only follow the Hurricanes on Twitter, so yeah. they play uh, up-tempo, exciting band <laughs> of hockey, right, there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so
2: skilled. Definitely not the, the most annoying type of hockey for me to watch personally. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, listen, they've nailed this down to a science. Like, they're so effective at what they do. They have the personnel. They have the coach who implements the system, and they're getting the results, so it's kind of hard to quibble with that. It's not for me. Like, I, I enjoy watching a team like the Blues more, who's very deliberate in terms of we're going to get into the offensive zone, we're going to pass up bad shots because we're going to try to get that grade A kind of alley oop shot for us, right? The Canes are the opposite. They like, no team way. takes more yeah. point shots and bad angle shots, and they get away with it, even though it's such an inefficient strategy, because they're the first to every puck. They win every puck battle. And so they're able to kind of. They chip away, right? They progressively They start at the edge of the offensive zone. They take a point shot from there. And then by the end of the possession, they've made their way to the net after like seven rebounds. Right. And so it's a very frustrating team to play against because you're just constantly going to be chasing it. And on most nights, you're not going to be able to match them from that tenacity perspective. So it's going to be uh, from a foot speed angle. Uh, this is going to be a pretty challenging matchup. I, I, I
0: remember it was the Canucks game in Carolina last year, and this was after Bruce Boudreau had taken over and everything. But I just remember thinking, you know, we identity gets thrown around as this kind of buzzword so often, but like that is a team that has a strong identity, and it's everyone is in unison, everyone's on the same page, and they know exactly how they want to play. And I expect we'll see that again on Monday as well. Uh, how's Brent Burns doing for you in Carolina so far?
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 a match made in heaven uh you know during his prime he, he toned it down a little last year we've seen him pick it back up during his prime no team no player really had a higher shot volume especially from point shots than him he loved it. and you know they had joe pavelski there for a while in san jose so he was basically just shooting for those tips whenever he could carolina is going to encourage that and on the other end for whatever kind of defensive deficiencies he might have in terms of his puck tracking or getting lost at times he's playing with jacob slavin full-time who's arguably the best eraser in the league in terms of making up for other people's mistakes with his stick work and his kind of ability to just appear out of nowhere and knock the puck away. And so no team is in a better position, I think, to get the most out of Burns from both ends of the ice. And so I, I really like
0: that fit. How is the uh Yesberi experiment going? Because like there that got so much hype. Yeah. And people were really, oh wow, an offer sheet and they trolled them I was never totally sold on the on ice element yeah. of it, and I don't know that I still am quite sold on that either.
2: Yeah, it's a quite a long way to to see the bit through, given the contract oh, yeah. they gave him. It was like, oh, it'd be funny if we offer sheeted him and took him, but then yeah. we're also yeah. going to commit. Then we have to pay him. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's an opening there down the middle for them because beyond Sebastian Aho, you know, they lost Vincent Trocheck this summer. Uh, Jordan Stahl is an expiring free agent, and I forget what it. You know, he's 35 years old or something yep. like that. And he's on the tail end of, of his uh, of his career, and so. They still have that opening for a second line center, Tom. You and I still believe that is Marty Natchez, even though he plays on the wing for them.
1: Uh, he's had a good start to the season. I'm hearing high hopes that he'll be able to continue that form on. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I I think they're pretty sensitive to the. I think the organization's pretty sensitive to the common formulation that the reins are on Marty Netches. N- 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 excuse mm. me. Um, but yeah, I mean, until he plays center, I'm going to be pretty uh, concerned about whether he's been in, being put in the best position to succeed.
2: Well, do people feel that way because he came out after last season and literally said that to the media? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs>
1: might be part of it. <laughs> Could be. That might have contributed. Yeah. Um, I like Kakanyemi better on the wing and him better at mm. center. Like that would be how I'd do it. And I, I, I think in uh, still a really interesting, still really young. I still think he's a really interesting player. I just sort of see him in that pool yarvey Nachushkin, big assertive uh, guy who I want playing along the wall. Kirby Doc would be another guy. Like th- th- those types of players I tend to like when they play on the wing and play faster as opposed to, particularly if their hockey sense doesn't translate to the sort of slower methodical game uh, that you play at center. This has actually been a part of why I've long and stubbornly insisted that I think JT Miller should play the wing in Vancouver.
0: Hmm. Uh, Dimitri, always appreciate it stopping by. Uh, great insight into the next uh, few Canucks opponents. We'll chat again next week. Absolutely. That is Dimitri when Filipovich. When we can get into the Kraken. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I haven't even looked that far ahead of the schedule. Pittsburgh, I think, is on uh, on the docket I, at some point. Maybe twice. Next week, yeah. Anyways, we'll look into it. We'll do our research before, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before the next time. Uh, he is Dimitri Filipovich, host of the Hockeypedio cast that you hear on 650 and across the Sportsnet radio Network. Uh, this text came in, 650-650 for the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, weren't the Canucks good against bigger teams and struggled against faster teams, uh, but the Big Bad Wild should be a team the Canucks fear? I think the problem is that the, the Wild are both. The Wild don't lack for speed. There's plenty well, of speed the in the that lineup. End. Especially on the back end. That's that's where
1: where speed really crushes the Canucks is on the back end um, because that's when, when teams can move the puck relatively well. The Canucks struggle to find that plan B, as we like to talk about, in terms of their... Uh, ability to manufacture offense, right, without the forecheck. That's sort of the the issue. And the Wild have enough puck-moving skill that you'd expect them to be able to do what we saw from the uh, Capitals and the Oilers in the third period of those games where they just manage the puck. And if they do that sharply all game, you know, I worry that the Canucks are going to be hard-pressed to generate offense.
0: There's been a lot of, like, blue-line envy already so far this year for Canucks fans, right? Like, we talked about it with Zach Warensky after the Columbus game. Dude, we talked about with Orlov and Jensen, Yeah. <laughs> um the right side for Minnesota. Spurgeon, Dumba, Kalen Addison, the rookie, the puck moving right side defenseman. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty well set up to give the Canucks and Canucks fans some blue line envy. And I'm not even talking about, you know, Jonas Brodeen on the other side. Yeah. So like, just, who, just who, looking at the right side. Who, by the way, is completely comfortable moving over to play the right side in a pinch
1: and has done that at long like for long stretches of his career in the past, including most notably uh, as Ryan Suter's uh defensive partner uh, over the years but then also, you know, you, Carson Lambos, they got Lambos coming. Um, you know, they're going to be pretty good on the right side Brock for Faber, a while, right? Oh yeah. Well, right, they did
0: trade for Brock Faber, yes. didn't they? Right from from the Kings for Fiala. Yeah. So
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, Brock Faber's good. Really interesting prospect there. Um, Damon Hunt as well is the other guy, but I think he's a lefty now that I now that I think about it. So yeah, Wilder good. Wilder good, going to be good for a while. They've they've got this really challenging build going on because of the decisions mm-hmm. to buy out Suter and Parise that have got them in this absolutely incalculable cap crunch for another two seasons. I mean, we've talked about how inconvenient the Canucks' dead money is. they're <laughs> living in the world with like 14 million oh, yeah. in dead cap space for at least a couple more years. Um, so, you know... Cheap labor is everything to them. Uh, they went out and got former Canucks director of amateur scouting, Judd Brackett. Uh, what they're able to do, the, the development of players like Boldy, like Rossi. And then ultimately, too, because Dumba's on an expiring. And yes, this team's going to be good this season, but things are going to be difficult for them to retain expensive players like that, considering their dead cap space, right? They're going to need Addison to level up, right? Addison right now looks like a nice fit on their third pair. yes. But over the long haul, they're going to need him to play top four for them probably next season. They're going to need a guy like Lambos to be the next Addison. Uh, and and yet, one thing that Garin has done really consistently is get the guy like John Merrill. Get the guy like Dmitry Kulikov. Get the $1 million player who ends up being really valuable for your team. Frederick Goudreau is another one that mm-hmm. they brought in. Low-cost free agent acquisition who's been just a gem. An absolute find for them. Uh, the ability to consistently churn out useful players on the cheap right for me that's the mark of the best general managers in hockey the best general managers in hockey consistently find their buntings their obey kubels their um you know kulakovs and, and on and on bill Guerin, in his first few years has done it with remarkable consistency and it's one of the reasons that i think the wild will be able to handle uh just what's been a really tough go for them in terms of uh, you know their overall cap positioning.
0: Yeah, Ross and Richmond, Texan. Uh, this is a down year for the Wild, given the amount of dead cap they have. This is not the same Minnesota team as last year. I still think they're going to be but good. But what's, what, what's hugely different? Fiala yeah, a Fiala big loss is for sure. Thing. And then, and then a, a little bit of depth. They're still good. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're a good team. They're not in the tier where. You're not worried about them outperforming goaltending issues if those crop up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean not if they're I don't think they're quite there for me.
1: But I think they can. I think they can overcome them if they're bad, but probably not at the level that like Toronto's were last yeah. season. You know, I mean that that takes something more. Um, I, I'd, I'd agree with that, but I think it, I still think they're fine if they're a bottom ten goaltending team, um, five on five save percentage. I'd still expect them to make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and then for this one tonight, I mean. They haven't They haven't been on the road yet. They've had two days off since their last game. Like, they're just, you know, they are just absolutely well, licking and their six,
1: chops. Six and licking their chops. Fourth game in six nights for the yeah. Canucks. And the Canucks have, again, I think, I don't know if there's fitness issues going on. I don't know if that's part of why the Canucks have faded in every third period and really faded in the third period of a second leg of a back-to-back, but... You know, until proven otherwise, right, that's going to be something that I watch for with a little bit of concern is can the Canucks sustain their form uh, as games get late? Uh, Four and six is a really challenging athletic task for this team.
0: Um, And honestly, going back and forth across the continent, too, right? Started in the mountain time zone, then all the way out east, now back to the central. Well, and let's not forget, too, they play again on Saturday, right?
1: Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's a six and four. Uh, or it's a four and six right now, but you're also going to be playing a fifth and eight, not as bad as a fifth and seven, but a fifth and eight with, you know, after the game tonight, they're going to fly home. They're going to get home at what? Three a.m. Oh, surely a day off on Friday, unless they really lose badly and then have to play on Saturday against a, a Buffalo team that I think Buffalo plays tonight. Right. And then they don't play again. So a Buffalo team that's going to be far more rested, frankly, Uh, despite the fact that they're they're the road team uh, by the time they play
0: Vancouver. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. We'll look ahead more to the game against the Wild tonight. Uh, You'll hear from Bruce Boudreau. He had to say to the media after the morning skate today, and we'll continue uh, to dissect Jim Rutherford's comments, plus play back uh, some of what Yannick Hansen had to say about the team as well yesterday. All that, lots more coming up. It's Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you for another hour. Uh, live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews, find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And of course, Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenue-machinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. I'm surprised how bad our first
1: hour was. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. Sorry.
0: Oh. <laughs> Took me a second there. I messed that joke I was up. like, why would you be surprised? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: always bad. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm not surprised. Yeah, okay. There we you go. We don't know how to there broadcast. Yes. Hey, we're going to talk. Can we start with Yannick? I wanna start. Right. I want to start with what Yannick Hansen said yesterday. I know there's lineup news. I know we can do other yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I love me some Yannick Hansen truth bumps. They're my favorite thing. Yannick Hansen you know, settled in North Van after his playing career. He was a great player with great habits who worked hard during his, during his time in Vancouver, underappreciated, frankly, as a Vancouver Canuck. And he cares about this team. He cares about like the crest on the sweater, right? He he wants to see it worn with pride. He wants to see a team succeed here. You could tell that would mean the world to him in that. I feel like he shares a lot of traits with Canucks fans. Mm-hmm. And so, I always love hearing him analyze the team particularly because, and this is consistent with how he was as a player too. You know, you Canucks players would filter off the ice after a loss and they'd be talking to the media and everyone would sugarcoat it except Yannick who'd just be like, oh, we were awful. Man, did we play bad. <laughs> he became such a go-to quote because of it, and it's just carried over
0: into his skills as the best analyst in the small I uh, I didn't realize, because obviously, you know, it takes the summer off, understandably so. There's not a lot of Canucks stuff happening always in the summer. I didn't realize how much I had missed the the twice-weekly Yannick Hansen hits oh, on our station so until good. they were back. They're, they're great. So they're
1: fantastic. They're must-listen every week. He had some commentary that I particularly liked about the defense.
0: Uh, as someone who's been talking about this for a while. So, so let's pray, first of all, uh, yeah, Yannick Hansen talking about the defense right now.
3: Um, I think we got to go back to, to the summer, and we talked about what this team needed, um, and, and it needed to, to solve their, their defense. They didn't, and I think this is uh, what we're seeing right now because it, it was never a question about whether or not this four group could score goals. They can, and they've scored enough goals through four games to win four games. Uh, the, the problem being they they can't they can't defend, they can't keep the puck out of their own net. Um, And that, of course, is a big, uh, big issue. Um, But but again, they they come back with with the same defense, Um, maybe even uh, limping in a a couple of injuries, Tyler Myers, uh, Dermer not in to to begin with, uh, which all of a sudden you're you're digging even deeper into your defense pool that was already thin. Um, So, so yeah, it is an issue because it's an issue you don't see fixed that easily um penalty kill being penalty kill we we been on top of, of specialty teams for so long with this team, and it's something they need to to sort out because it, it's losing them games almost uh, every game that this year. It's it's been some sort of specialty teams that come back and bite them in the butt. Um, like I said, they, they've uh, they've scored enough goals to win all four games, um, but when you give up four, five, six goals, well, you're, you're not going to win in this league. Um, you're not going to win consistently. Yeah, there will be entertaining games, and you'll win some of these six, four, six, five games here and there, and everybody leaves uh, the, the rink excited for, for a game with a high-scoring affair. Um, but if your aspirations are to anything more than entertainment here and there, you need to to bury down
0: and find a way to keep pucks out of your net. That is Yannick Hansen yesterday from The People's Show with Bick Nazar here on Sportsnet 650. So a couple things that I wanted to react to, because he's
1: right, but do not take it for granted that this team is just going to continue to score goals. Do not take that for granted. One of the things I'm most concerned about with this team, to be totally honest with you, that I didn't quite expect was how little they've generated in terms of quality five on five looks in their games. Now the power play is going to buoy, in my opinion, anyway, this club's offensive attack. They do have quality attacking talent up and down the lineup. No question about it. But if they're not generating much five on five, Um, that could be an issue as their shooting percentage regresses. One thing about this team to this point is they've actually been fortunate in terms of their finishing luck five on five. They've scored more goals than they were expected to based on the chances they've generated to this point uh, by one and a half, right? Only generated seven and a half expected goals, scored nine. If that percentage normalizes and regresses, I think you could see this team actually struggle offensively unless a line that Petterson's not on starts regularly manufacturing zone time and pressure. So I wouldn't take it for granted necessarily that we know this group can score goals. Like, we do. We know there's offensive talent there, but we haven't seen this sort of consistent five-on-five um, scoring chance generation that would even lead me to be confident that this team can play the type of entertaining but hollow hockey that... Yannick Hansen's laying out. There's a chance they're worse than that if they don't start finding ways to enter the zone, win the neutral zone, and play with the puck in the offensive end with a centerman that's not Elias Pettersson on the ice consistently.
0: And I want to really, the thing that really jumped out to me from that clip from Yannick, and it kind of ties back into the conversation we were having earlier in the show, you know, based on Jim Rutherford's comments and the overall direction with this team, where where is it going? What's the plan? You know, as Yannick said, everybody knew. Everybody, within the team, without the team, fans, everybody knew that the defense was an issue going into the summer. No steps taken to fix it. Now, look, there is a reality where you say, you know what, the options weren't there, there were no trades that make sense. Rather than do something rash, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're just going to be conservative, we're going to wait, we're going to be patient, and we're going to try to fix this problem down the road. That's fine. I can buy into that line of thinking, but then, as you said earlier, Drance, why are you also concurrently making win-now moves if you know you weren't able to fix this blue line? You weren't able to add the necessary talent boost to this defense. And you know, the other thing that Yannick Hansen says that I think is really important to note there: it's not as if that's that's a long-term project rebuilding that blue line, right? So even if you couldn't do it perfectly. I'd at least like to have seen a start this summer. You know what I mean? And as he says, it's not as if you can just snap your fingers. It's a hard problem to fix, and they haven't started to fix it yet. Well, Dermott and uh, Stillman,
1: I'm sure they would say are their start. Uh, Elias Pettersson in the third round of the draft, would they'd probably say is part of it. That Kondratsev kid, too, in the seventh round, who's you know playing really well in the Ontario Hockey League this year, but those are sort of longer-term lottery tickets. Yeah, look, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I don't think they're... It's hard to overhaul your blue line, for sure. And yet, you know, you look at that Blankenberg kid just the other day. Like, they talked about European and college free agents. Um, They added that uh, one guy that the Minnesota Wild didn't sign, the first-round pick. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Niels Amon's a nice find, I suppose. Um, You know, he doesn't... I don't think... He's played well, but I feel like it's been taken out... Uh, people are a little bit overboard about how well. He's looked like a fourth-line center. Yeah, an NHL fourth-line center. Good. Not moving the needle, right? Like, it's a good find, but whatever. You know, whatever. Like, should he be in the lineup over Niels Hoaglander, which we'll get into? Like, come on. No, of course not. Particularly given that this team hasn't spent enough time in the offensive end... Generating chances, which Niels Hoaglander can do regardless of your mileage on his finishing ability. So, you know, yeah, it's going to take a while. The one thing that this team's not going to have the benefit of either is it's much easier to rebuild your blue line with cap space. Yep. Right. I mean, you can get guys like Gustus Bear, <laughs> you know, teams will give away good defensemen if they're on big contracts. Right. You could you could trade for Jake Muzzin tomorrow if you want it. Yeah, you'd have to worry about the injury issues, but Jake Muzzin would be this team's second-best defenseman. You know, like, it is what it is. Um, Up and down across the NHL, if you have cap space, there's ways to improve your blue line because no one else has it. And this team, yeah. They also do not have it. They're not going to be able to lean on that in sort of driving a rapid improvement, which is just going to make it far more difficult, uh, especially because they've even further limited the amount of
0: cap space they'll have. Uh, unsigned texter chimes in saying uh, there are players out there like John Klingberg, and another indication, right? If you oh, have the cap space, at the when, free. when his market dries up, free, one-year deal, you got a chance to flip him if you want. Yes, that's another missed opportunity uh, because of cap space. I wanted to play one other thing from Yannick Hansen um, because I thought, you know, we talked about it and we kind of – chewed on the players only meeting after three games a little bit, but I, I thought Yannick had a really interesting answer to that happening and, and just kind of the mood uh, that the players might be living in right now. Here's Yannick Hansen.
3: Yeah. Reality hits real quick. Uh, normally you kind of have a, okay, touchy feel with 500, uh, maybe a game above a game below uh, five, six, seven, eight games into the season. Kind of get your footing. But, but right now it's, uh, I sense panic, sheer panic, to be honest. Um, the fact that they call a players-only meeting uh, two or three games in, into the season is concerning. Um, that leads me to like locker room issues, leadership uh, problems, and all these things. I, I hate to speculate about, um, but but when I see something like that that early,
2: um,
3: that that is what it leads me to. Um, so so again, you hope that this is uh, I don't know a, a mental 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 fart, if you will, and then. They're right back on track, and, but it doesn't get any easier. They're running into a mini-team now that, that on paper looks looks good, um, that haven't found their footing at all either, uh, and then they're back home, and we're seeing uh, seeing good opposition teams. Again, it's never easy coming home after a long road trip, playing home opener, all these things, pressure team aren't, aren't performing. Uh, you, you need to sort this out really quickly, or are we going to, be right back where we were last year where we started discussing, well, what's going to happen with the last 50 games of the season here.
0: Yannick Hansen again on the people show with Nazar from yesterday. Sheer panic is what Yannick said. He is his reaction to a, a players only meeting after game three of this season.
1: Yeah, he's right. Obviously he's right. He's always right. The thing to remember too is after tonight, it's just five games. Can't be said. Okay? After tonight, if you lose in regulation, right, you, you then need to be a 100-point team to get to 95. Mid-90s requires a 100-point performance after tonight. So we're already at a point where the math becomes arduous if the Canucks don't bank two points tonight. That's, that's just where we're at. Like, I don't, I'm not – that's simple math. You need 100 points to get to 95 if you don't get bank, uh if you don't get a point tonight. At least one. So it, it's not just the abject panic of an early players only meeting. It's not just the swirling commentary of um, you know, reported uh votes of confidence yep. and locker room Issues. discord. And to be and-
0: clear, Yannick, as he was saying there, when he says, you know. Oh, it leads me to believe about something about the locker room or leadership. That's him guessing, you know, no, course, I'm not saying course. I've heard this. I just well, want to make that talking clear. from experience. But, exactly. I, but I, I, I weight that guess heavily because it's a relatively recent former player who knows how these dynamics uh,
1: work. You, you can smell it. You know, you can sm- like a player's only meeting after three games is wild. No one. No one's going to hear that that happened and think that's normal. Uh, yeah. Oh, that sounds all right. That's yeah. That's about right. Yeah. T- three games. Sure. No, no one, no one's going to think that's normal. So, anyway, fact is, is that after tonight, the math gets annoying. The math gets to the point where the Canucks have to perform at a level that I would severely start to bet against, right? And that's unfortunate because you don't want to be there before October twentieth. First,
0: no, not great. <laughs> and then, as and, and we've made this point as well. But as Yannick says, right, like you're going to be the less rested team on Saturday in your home opener yep. against Buffalo. Dead against on, a talented team. You're the less rested team tonight. Your less rested team tonight, and then even on uh, on Monday, yeah, Carolina will have been out here for a little bit, but they're not. As you said, it's not second half of back to back, and they're a really good team. So it's two really really tough games the, coming home the as well.
1: Car- the Philadelphia and the Columbus losses are just going to loom so large for this team, right? Um, you needed those. You needed those, and the way that those games were lost, that the shorthanded goal in Philadelphia and the Johnny Gaudreau you know, yakety-sacks goal in Columbus. Like, those are uh, going to loom large if the Canucks can't pull a rabbit out of their hat tonight. They're uh, plus 155, which yep. means they have the same odds of winning as the Carol- as the Phoenix Coyotes tonight, as the Arizona Coyotes in... Uh, or are they Phoenix now? They're Arizona. Right? Arizona. Yeah, the Arizona Coyotes in um, Montreal. <laughs> so if you're feeling really crazy and want to do one of those Coyotes-Canucks parlays... You'll get good odds. Yeah, wild minus one eighty. Please don't do that tonight. By the way. I want to make make it very clear that I am not advocating for that. <laughs> the true degenerate bet: the Canucks and the Coyotes. Canucks, Coyotes, and money parlay. line parlay. Absolutely, oh my goodness! Yes, uh,
0: that's a, that's gonna be big. If, Stay away for me. Yeah, if you're if you're tempted by that, <laughs> use uh, by your the game way, sense. I'm gonna. Uh, I know I've made this the last two games and it it has not hit, but uh, I'm gonna ride or die with uh, Andre Kuzmenko back with Elias Petterson plus three thirty. Anytime goal scorer, there, there you go. Yeah, I, I don't hate that. I, I would. I'm worried about the Canucks' offense
1: tonight. You know. Oh
0: yeah, hundred percent.
1: Like I really think people are underselling just how much this team has struggled to generate. And if you are encountering a wild, if the Wild are serious about tonight, right? If the Wild come out hungry, what does that look like? It doesn't look like the big, bad, burly Wild pushing the Canucks around. It looks like the Wild coming out and from the drop something we have yet to see a team do against the Canucks controlling methodically this game and we've seen what it looks like when when good teams dial it up against Vancouver this season we saw it in we saw it in Washington we saw it in Edmonton but we haven't seen a team like really come out and for like 45 minutes just put the boots in in terms of avoiding turnovers managing the puck conservatively controlling the game and when teams have done that For 20-minute stretches against the Canucks, they generate nothing. No suspense. My concern is if the Wild come out, because I guarantee you Dean Evison has seen it, I guarantee you he's watched the film and thinks, oh, we can actually take the wind, we can take the oxygen out of this game if we just manage the putt carefully, if we're really careful about beating their forecheck, if we're really sharp about how we make those passes, we can suck the air out of this uh, offensive attack. If they come out and play like that for 45 minutes to start the game, you know, I think you. I think there's a really
0: clear route to like a three-one win that feels lopsided for the Wild. It's going to be a tough one. There's absolutely no doubt, no doubt that it's going to be a very tough one. Two desperate teams, uh, but the Wild rested, more talented, all that. So
1: on the Canucks side, you're expecting to see that Boudreaux like uh, us against the world mentality stuff that you saw last season when things didn't go their way, right? When they go into Florida and they get stomped, and mm. then they lose to Carolina, and then the way they rebounded in Washington and Nashville, the way this team occasionally with their backs against the wall, they, it feels like they're eliminated after that one loss to Vegas. And then they storm back and win seven in a row with, you know, JT Miller making Alex chase look like vintage Rick Nash. Right? I mean, that is the, that's what you're, you're, we have yet to see this team show that Boudreaux, there's something in this Jersey's magic, right? That's sort of a classic hallmark of, of a good Boudreaux team. They're never out of games, right? They're never out of on a road trip. It doesn't matter what the odds are. They'll run through a wall. We haven't seen that yet from the Canucks under Boudreau this season. It's all we saw from the Canucks under Boudreau last season. If you're waiting for it, like that's what you're hoping for tonight. What does a Canucks win look like? For me, it looks like... Uh, one of those classic Boudreaux wins. We'll talk lineup decisions, I guess, in the next segment. Yeah, we're right? gonna,
0: we'll are gonna we take an early break here. 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar-Lumber text line, so you can get your thoughts in. Up next, you'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux, and we'll uh, dissect some of the lineup decisions, uh, maybe chat a little bit more about Jim Rutherford's comments as well. Final segment of the show coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Yeah. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, final segment of the show on a Canucks game day against the Minnesota Wild. Puck drop is coming up at five o'clock. Of course, you'll be able to hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650 and tune into the pregame show. Yeah, man. On Sportsnet Pacific. That's right. Make sure to do it. That's right. It looked great. It Guys did. Look sharp, Kintec Studio Kentek yeah, so sharp. That was a little underdressed. I just assume that if. <laughs> If Sat decided to do that, then it was the right call. You know what I mean? Like, in terms no. of sartorial decisions, no. that's I'm taking my cues from I, Sat.
1: I, I saw him just outside during the break, and yeah, got to wear a suit, bud.
0: I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you can do it a little more casual in the studio. Anyways, yes, it is back on Sportsnet Pacific uh, tonight for this one. It'll be at 4.30, I believe, on Sportsnet look, Pacific.
1: If you look like that in a suit, wear a suit. That's my <laughs> that's my rule. I wear, I wear a suit all the time, and I don't
0: look like that in a suit. Um. You're, never, you're rarely going to regret wearing a suit. You know what I mean? Never. It's, it's, it's pretty much always a good option. Unless it rains. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Unless it
1: really rains and you get caught. A- Lineup decisions. Yeah. So, so
0: here, here, here's what I'll do because I want to play. I want to play Bruce Boudreau, and we can hear his rationale. I'll just run through a couple tweaks to the forward lines. All right, JT Miller with McKeever and Garland. Uh, Garland draws back in. Horvat with Pearson and Besser. That's the same from what we saw last game. Petterson with Kuzmenko and Podkolzin, and then Joshua Oman and Lazar. On the fourth line, which of course means Niels Hoaglander is a healthy scratch. Turned out just to be a one game reprieve <laughs> for Niels Hoaglander uh after that last one, Drancer. And then on the blue line, Hughes with Luke Shen, OEL and Myers, uh, and Stillman and Burroughs together with Tucker Pullman, Pullman status game time. Game right? time decision. So lots to digest there. Uh let's hear what Bruce Boudreau had to say to the media before the game today. Uh Garland coming back in. Yeah. Um you know what what was your message to him?
4: what you want to see tonight. Well, I think the message was said when you sit him out. That's the message. That uh, he's a really good player, but we just need better. If we you know, I mean and like I said the other day, was, I have to pick one out of maybe six guys that I could have done that with and uh, uh, so I mean, we did it with him and and uh, he's, he's got a a good character. So I mean it's not something that he'll He'll take lately. He'll work harder. I know he will, and uh, that's what we need from him.
0: Your experience when you've
1: had situations like that in the past, um, what have you usually seen in terms of the response, the the next game? Well, it
4: varies. Look, like, I mean, it, it, we'll see. But I mean, usually guys with good character uh, come back and play really hard. I expect him to do the same.
0: Is there something in the video when you reviewed Tuesday's game that? Was similar to what we'd seen before, or was it different, what happened
4: in the third I thought period? we played, a l- well, third period. I mean, we're up by one goal. I mean, it's uh, one goal's not hard to get in this league. Yeah. And, I mean, we made a mistake on the third goal of tying it. I think we overplayed it in net, and uh, we might have done, you know, but hockey's a game of mistakes, but, I mean, that's, and that's what happens. But I thought, you know, we finally had 16 shots in the third period. We didn't... Uh, we didn't get afraid and hold our stick so tight that we couldn't win. We we played to win, and that's that's a real important factor. And, and uh, I thought we continued to do that most of the game. We kept it to two penalties, uh, which is what we want to do. So, I mean, there was an awful lot of good things that happened. I mean, and again, we'd be talking a different tune if – Petey's shot doesn't hit the crossbar. So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, we had that power play at the end where I thought we had a multitude of chances to put it in, and we didn't. And, um, but th- those are things that are happening when things aren't going good for you. When things are going good, those things, those things score. You know, So, I mean, um, I-, I came away thinking it was a back-to-back game and against a team that could really skate, that were really hungry, and I thought we did more than hold our own.
0: Woman's not out there again today.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, is it more the same. It's a game time sort of decision with him. Um,
0: and then uh, decision to sit out Hoglander. I mean, you said there's a few options. With,
4: uh, with well, the... I mean, we, there's t- you know we got 13 forwards. You go down to them and and you go, okay, like uh, who who are we playing here? And this is a bigger physical team. And and sometimes you make decisions on that. I told hockey he's playing pretty good. I really like the way he's playing. Um, and be ready to get back in in a hurry. But sometimes, you know, with, uh, uh, I'm not saying with analytics uh, on this part, but, I mean, sometimes you look at your opposition and you see what you need, you know? I mean, I'm not sitting Garland out again. Uh, I think the point was made. So uh, we have to sit somebody out.
0: Just to go back to your thing about pulling, so if he's game time, you know, we saw three guys rotating in on the third pair. It's sort of not set what you're saying? No,
4: we're not set. Well, we'll see you know, the doctor said to... The pulley could go if he's up to it. What
0: are you expecting to see out of Minnesota? Obviously another team looking for their first win. Well,
4: I think a pretty mad team. You know, I mean, they're they're supposed to be one of the best teams in the league, and they haven't shown it yet. So I expect with two days off since their last game that they're going to come in. They got Greenway back in. So, I mean, their size is going to be way more evident today. And uh, they'll come at us really hard. And that's uh, the way they've always played, and uh, I don't expect anything less. I expect a real battle. This is probably, I think it's the best team we've played on the trip, so it's the last game of our trip. It's, it's It should be a, uh, if we bring our A game, it'll be a real good game.
0: That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux speaking to the media on the road in Minnesota after the team's morning skate today. Uh, pumping up the Minnesota Wild a little bit there towards the end, but uh, let's start. With the commentary on Niels Hoaglander, who will be a healthy scratch tonight as Connor Garland, who was out of the lineup, draws back in. And, you know, you heard from Boudreaux, like, hey, I don't I actually think he's playing pretty well, but, you know, big physical team on the other side. They got Jordan Greenway back. Uh, and that was what led to his decision. What's your reaction, Trans?
1: I'm worried about what the Canucks are generating five on five. I'm worried about the fact that they've lost the neutral zone in every game they've played except the one that they played against Philadelphia. I think Niels Hoaglander is a boon in both of those areas, even if your mileage on his finishing game might vary with mine. I think he's a totally fine middle six caliber finisher. And so, you know, I, I just, does keeping Niels Amon and Dakota Joshua in the lineup do enough to offset the Minnesota Wild size advantage to justify the gap in overall quality? Five on in terms of five on five generation and driving that Hoaglander gives you over one of those guys for me the answer is no I don't I don't even think it's a, a particularly difficult one has nothing to do with analytics or, or matchups like Joshua and Amon probably aren't going to spend a bunch of time against you know Joel Eriksson eck and Marcus Foligno anyway mm-hmm. uh, so you know and I mean the Columbus blue jackets were the tougher team against Vancouver just the other day. And the Columbus blue jackets aren't particularly big. It was a five foot nine guy who was <laughs> a wrecking ball crushing two of their biggest forwards in different sequences. Um, You know, I think if you're prioritizing the size matchup, I, I worry that you're misunderstanding how this team is losing games. And that's sort of, the type of thing that concerns me, but I, I tend to pull punches when it comes to like, one thing you'll very rarely hear from me is like the play the young guys or like this guy's desperately underused by this head coach hmm. kind of take. Like I've never heard of an NHL coach, um, you know, uh, not playing a guy because he's too good. I, I tend to be one of those people who thinks that the quality of coaching in this league is actually really high. Most of these guys are extremely smart in terms of knowing exactly what players are, figuring it out very quickly. If they're wrong, uh, you'll see deployment changes very fast as coaches figure things out. Particularly when they've got great feel, particularly when they've won as many games and understand as much about the game as as someone like Bruce Boudreau. I'm very loath to criticize NHL coaches' lineup decisions, particularly when I don't particularly like their options. Which you know, I think Boudreau's in that. Position at the moment, but I I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. I didn't understand Garland the other night either. And I do sort of worry that this team's focusing on being hard to play against at the expense of some of the things they're struggling with, which include for me generating enough danger, uh, enough dangerous chances five on five. Um, you know, includes being able to keep up with the speed of teams, in- includes being able to win the neutral zone. For me, Garland and Hoaglander help you do that. There's some fourth liners that maybe don't. And I don't see what the downside would have been to playing, you know, a Lazar, Hoaglander, and who's on the fourth line? Who's the other guy? Uh,
0: Joshua and Amon, right? So right. you could go Hoaglander, Lazar, and, and then one of Joshua or Amon.
1: Yeah, perfect. Right? Or you could go, you. so you could go Hoaglander, Amon, Joshua, uh, Lazar, or. Uh, Hoaglander, Lazar, Joshua. I mean, I don't see why either option isn't better than what they're doing. But I, I suppose we got to leave, leave Boudreaux a little bit of time to to figure it out. And again, I like that he's taking chances with his lineup. I always think that's a good good sign from a coach, particularly when they're under a fair bit of stress and criticism. And, you know, not that he's Coaching for his job, per se. I don't want to be that dramatic, but let's be real: coaching for his job. You're always coaching for your job in this league, particularly when you're under uh, scrutiny, and when Elliot Friedman's reporting that your club's not considering it. Uh, that <laughs> I don't think it's too overwrought to put it the way I just did.
0: Well, and as Elliot Friedman uh, mentioned again today on the Jeff Merrick show, and it's hit that you know the club. Uh, according to Friedman looked around for to see what else was out there during the summer right and you don't have a, a contract beyond this year right so yeah you add up all those factors you are kind of inherently coaching for your job even early in the season
1: Jack Rathbone scratched again teams used eight defensemen including guys like Noah Julson they've been hit by injuries they have options to move guys over to the right side Rathbone hasn't been able to get into the lineup um, this team's not breaking the puck out nearly well enough. In fact, some of the specific areas that they're struggling in most are areas that Rathbone would appear to address. Uh, it's a bad sign for him that he is getting no opportunity. And again, I, I'm not the, well, why if the coach would only play him? Like, if Rathbone had had a stronger preseason, he'd be in the lineup. This isn't, you know, a hugely suspenseful thing nor nor do I intend it to be a you know unqualified indictment of of Bruce Boudreau but from an organizational perspective you know we talked about this a little bit last summer like you have to be really careful about when you get value for guys right right now for another team if you were like hey well you know what what do you like Jack Rathbone? Like, yeah, we like we like Jack Rathbone. Well, what would you pay for him? Well, he doesn't play for you. So a conditional seventh, right. right? I mean, that's, that's where the Canucks now are value-wise with a piece that for sure would have had cachet six, seven months ago. So just one of those ones where it feels like a missed opportunity from an organizational perspective in just about every respect. And you feel bad for Jack Rathbone since he turned pro, since he signed with the Vancouver Canucks, um, you know, in that unique window which I think gave them a a fair bit of um, leverage to make sure that that deal got done to make sure that he didn't consider, or at least too strongly consider going the Justin Schultz route. Um, You know, spends all that time on the um, taxi squad, very few pro games, gets a brief cameo with the club toward the end of the 21 season, uh, loses his job very quickly in the early part of last year, doesn't get the call up because they run out of call ups, signs a 2 year one-way deal in part because the organization felt that themselves felt that he'd been hard done by down the stretch last season um, and now plays all the preseason games and doesn't get a look in the first five games of the season even as the defense struggles to move the puck and and deals with injuries I mean the frustration level must be through the roof it would be through the this is not a fair spot for him and again not I'm not trying to frame this as an indictment of Boudreau but this is a mess now. This is a mess for Jack
0: Rathbone. The other part of the Jack Rathbone situation that stands out to me is, you know, when he signed his new deal, you and I had the conversation on air, right? And we even talked to Jack Rathbone. That was a big vote of confidence for management. Two-year deal, one-way deal, right? Not league minimum, a little bit above that. They were obviously very high on what he accomplished at Abbotsford. They really liked that, and they wanted to give him a vote of confidence and basically say, look, you're an NHL player now, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what that contract communicated so they had a certain amount of confidence in him okay maybe you can you can pick holes and criticize some of what he did in preseason but he he makes the roster that's a management decision sure it's done in concert with the coaching staff but still management again you're an NHL player you're here he's not been not being played by the coach again as you say that could be absolutely be the right reason that could be putting the team in the best position to win but also, kind of looking at it from circumstantially, it seems like maybe another area of disagreement between coach and management. That, that management has repeatedly given a vote of confidence to this player, and yet the coach is not ne- necessarily on side with that. Well, and, you know,
1: with deleterious impacts in terms of what it does to the price of that asset, right? To, to the value of a good young defenseman that the Canucks are holding. In fact, probably the only one in the system, right? Who's now very much a, like just from a trade market perspective, this is now a distressed asset. This is not a, you know, affordable young player with some upside. This is a distressed asset that teams would be looking at, you know, for free only, for free only, um, suspecting that they'll have a chance to claim them off waivers anyway. So why would they give up an asset for, I mean, that's really where you're at in terms of, in terms of the value of Jack Rathbone. And that's, you know, absolutely wasteful considering this club's lack of assets generally and considering the fact that he would have been extremely valuable as, as recently as three months ago, right? That's um not, and maybe not extremely, but valuable uh, as recently as three months ago. That's, that's the other side of this. And, you know, same old story
0: for this club. At some point it gets frustrating to talk about. TJ in the Valley says Hoaglander Oman Lazar would be a solid fourth line. I don't understand the hesitancy, look, we heard Bruce Boudreaux's rationale, as you said. it's He's in a tough spot, right? The team is losing games. He's trying to find answers. I understand all of that. I also just think, you know, reacting to the fact that Minnesota are a big, tough team, at a certain point, you got to lean into your strengths, right? You have to be more concerned about what you're doing and your process than the other team. Look, there's always matchups to consider, and who are we going to play against this guy and all of that, but... I don't know that you're going to necessarily be successful by kind of trying to ape what makes it, you know, oh, hey, that team's really big. Well, we got to address our biggest lineup. Well, what do you do well? What does your best lineup do well, right? Try to make the other team react to what you're doing for once. And the other thing I'll say is you still have – look, let's say you took Dakota Joshua out. First of all, you wouldn't even have to do that. You could take Neil Amon out who has size but not what you think of as like a tough, physical, imposing player. You could you but even if you did take Dakota Joshua out, again, it's it's been largely theoretical with Joshua to this point, the idea that he adds that that grit and that physicality. You still have Luke Shen in the lineup who's going to play big minutes. You still have Riley Stillman, who you acquired again recently explicitly for that purpose. And potentially Kyle Burrows. So how, and Kyle Burroughs potentially. So how many roster spots exactly, even if you are saying, okay, we got to account for the size of Minnesota. I mean, how many roster spots are you going to accept a talent downgrade at to do that, right? Like, you're already doing it in a couple of different spots.
1: Well, and don't forget the other area that the Wild have an advantage in going into this game. It's not just size. It's this. Scoring depth. Okay? The Minnesota Wild are going to ice a fourth line that includes Brandon DeHame, who's skilled. Sam Steele, a recent first-round pick, who's extremely fast. And Tyson Yost. (laughs) It was like good, (laughs) legitimately good, right? So what's the other thing that now the Wild have an advantage? They have an advantage on size, and you're never going to be able to compete with Greenway, Erickson, Eck, and Foligno being thrown out as a line together. Like this team does not have bangers like that. They just don't. But now you're also having to compete with the fact that when the Wild throw their fourth line out, there's a real offensive attacking threat. And when the Canucks throw their fourth line out, there is not. So, again, it comes back to what I'm talking about where I'm wondering if my, my concern with this move isn't so much the, like, give Ho- Hoaglander a shot, play young guys, so much as it's a worry about whether or not this team understands what makes it difficult to beat when things are things are going, you know? Uh, that's sort of my concern here um, with the Hoaglander scratch. 650-650 is...
0: It's the- exhausting. <laughs> 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now, Mike and Victoria says if Rathbone can't even get a look uh, while Stillman Pullman and Juleson play, how bad is he? That's what other teams are going to be asking, right? Like, no, no, no. other
1: teams are just going to say we're going to have a chance to claim him off waivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're we're going to have a chance to claim him off waivers, right? I mean, you know, when when a fantasy football manager who hasn't dressed a guy like starts trying to trade him to you, you're like, well, you're not using him. Like you're not using him, that tells me everything I need to know about what you think of him. I can claim him off waivers with a $50 FAB in in three days. Like you literally laugh, decline the trade, and text the guy and say, "LOL," right? That's going to be the same thing. Like that's the same thing that a GM would say to the Canucks if they were in, you know, oh, what about Rathbone? Like, LOL. Yeah, he's not playing for you. Yeah, you're gonna waive him. You're and they probably not, by the way. But that would be what teams would think. You're gonna waive him. Well, I believe Rathbone is still
0: waiver-exempt. Right,
1: but for now. Yeah, yeah. but But,
0: in the future. But he's
1: also tolling, right? So it's like on the roster, he's tolling time toward um, where he'll no longer be waiver-exempt, right? So teams will be looking at that and saying,
0: you know, we're going to have a chance to get this guy. Uh, Nolan Merritt says, why not just play Rathbone? What's the worst that can happen? They lose another game. At least then they begin to truly know what you have in him. We're kind of broken records on this point, but that's the kind of decision yeah, you so can he, make. He'll when, be
1: waiver-exempt throughout this season. Yeah, But still, teams are going to be looking at it and thinking of it in that respect. Why would I pay an asset for a guy who's going to be on waivers
0: next year? Um, yeah, and to Nolan Merritt's point, right? What's the worst that can happen? You lose another game, at least then you begin to truly know what you have in him. Again, that's the kind of decision that's not really possible when the coach feels like they're coaching for their job, doesn't have security beyond this season, right? Bruce Boudreau is going to dress the lineup that he thinks – gives him the best chance of win to win every game, right? Like what finding out what they have in Jack Rathbone is less important to Bruce Boudreau than winning this game and cooling the temperature down is so those are the incentives that he's going to respond to, right? And if you don't want that to be the case, you shouldn't put yourself in a position where that's the that's the situation the coaches. Well, and you've got to win enough games early on in the year that you're that you're not
1: in a development developmental environment, right? You can't be in a developmental environment with a lame duck coach. That's just not how this works. Despite this team, since this is the third straight year we are in this situation. If you think about it, I mean, Green, I guess, wasn't a lame duck last year because he just signed his extension. But like, we've done this now in each of the last three
0: seasons, where it's like the coach's well and, status is the plot. And because of how the season went for the Canucks last year, we all status knew what didn't was even coming. matter, yeah. right? Like we all knew it was coming, and then yeah. It, anyways. It,
1: it's just wild. It's just such an it's such a wild way to try and run a hockey team. There's no way you're ever getting the best out of a, a group of players, uh, or or out of an organization, or going to be on the same page in terms of making sure that player utilization enhances their value with the big picture in mind. If you're consistently structuring it like this, this goes beyond management, right? We've changed management and we're in the exact same
0: spot. Suggests that maybe it's something bigger. Um. Graham says, I think they need to give up on putting in tough players and hoping they'll make a difference, need to focus more on improving their team toughness culture and standing up for each other. I agree, right? I think the idea of, oh, we're not tough enough, go out and find this guy who's really big and strong, I, I understand it to a certain degree, but you have to have that mentality as well, right? You, We talked about it yesterday. I never,
1: I never, I, like I'm an analytics guy, right? Like I'm a numbers guy. I think the best players win games, right? But I never want to see a guy expect to get jumped after throwing a big hit, get up, and find no comers. Like, the Columbus Blue Jackets were down 2-1 at that point in the game. When Blankenberg went back to the bench, what do you think the conversation was like? Do you think they thought they were going to win after that? I can promise you they did. They knew. Like, oh, we're not losing to this team. Uh, I I don't know what else to say about it. It was uh, when I watched the clip again, because I was so Mm. infatuated with Blankenberg and I wanted to see it again. And I saw that he got up defensively and then was like, Oh, no one's coming.
0: It just upset me. Truly. It upset me on so many levels. Uh, and even before you got off on that, Rager texted in, they weren't being tough anyways. Go back to Drantz talking about Blankenberg. So there you go. <laughs> uh, he, you're well <laughs> called it. He knew where we were going uh, with that one. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's the thing. And also, I will say, oh, look, okay, hey, accountability. You know, you're an offensive player. You're paid to produce. And you're not producing. We're going to scratch you. Whatever. All right. I don't think it necessarily is going to help the team win tonight, but I can kind of see the logic. Well, doesn't there have to be some accountability for the player that's expected to – bring that element, right? Like, again, I know I've been harping on this with Joshua, but that's what you were signed to do. You haven't done it yet. Where does the accountability for that come in? I know there was a little bit of a message sent uh, in preseason, but if it hasn't stuck, if that message hasn't gotten through, I think at a certain point you have to maybe go to that well again and try to send that message, right? That we're not going to tolerate playing that way. Uh, Vitor and Suri also texted in, Canucks have no identity. That's why they need to play the matchup game. I can understand that. It's it's very difficult to look at the way the team has played so far and kind of discern a positive identity. But start building it. Take the opportunity to start trying to build that identity. I think you have a better chance of doing that with Niels Hoaglander in the lineup. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Remember, it is a uh, Canucks game day. They play the Minnesota Wild. Five o'clock tonight, puck drop. Sadi Shah and Dan Ricci are coming up next with Canucks Central. They'll also have your pregame, and yes, it will be on TV against Sportsnet Pacific starting at 4.30. Batch and Randeep with the call, and then uh, it is Sat and Bick with your post-game show. We will be back tomorrow to break it down, look ahead to the weekend. Uh, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. All right, no people show once again, so Drance, we are back, back. With the people's picks brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports. Brought to you by BCLC. Uh, we were uh, we already did the Thursday nighter, but just quickly again, it's Arizona minus two and a half home to the Saints. Uh, the total on that one is 43 and a half as well. Is there anything? Uh, is there anything on the Sunday slate of NFL games that jumps out to you that you're you're eyeing with with relish to put your money down on? Uh, always. <laughs> 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 the the answer there is always. Uh,
1: here's here's a tidy one for you though. Um, Chris Olave is at four and a half for the over under uh, in receptions. Now, I think that's low because. A, he got concussed in his last game, right? And he only got four receptions. Uh, And then in the London game, he had seven targets, but it only became four receptions. They were playing, uh, of course, against Minnesota. Um, Decent defensive team. But target numbers for Olave the last four weeks, uh, 13, 13, 7, and then six in just the first half before he left uh, injured. He's back. He's going to be a huge target. I think he's a number one receiver for this team. I don't think there's any question that he's a number one receiver from this team. Jarvis Landry's out. Michael Thomas is out. Um, You know, Callaway, or sorry, not Callaway, Traquan Smith had eight catches (laughs) last game. While the books are giving you four and a half on Olave, take it. Take it until they adjust. Make them adjust. Make them pay. you Four and a half, that's great value
0: on Chris Olave receptions for Thursday night. I'm uh, going to do one that's going to make producer Dom happy here. I'm taking, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm taking the Jets. As road dogs in the mile-high city On against the, the Denver line? Broncos. Uh, no, no, no. They're only, they're only, they're only uh, plus
1: one. They're only that, plus one. That is – I I love I love the Broncos minus one. Only one point from the second-best defensive team in,
0: in the league? I'm just doing anything I can to fade Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. Get out of here, Drance. As you should. The, Get out of here. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but if you've been watching the Broncos – their They're
1: defense awful. is really good. Their defense is the second best one best in the league. They their defense is overwhelmingly good and the only reason this team's not an absolute wagon is that Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson might be one of the worst head coach QB combos going right now.
0: They've played how many like hold on look who they've played?
1: Who? The AFC the West. Broncos?
0: Yeah. Good teams. They played against what the Colts
1: were awful. They played but the twi- Colts the Colts lit, lit up Thursday the Jags. I mean, the Colts are bad, no question. But like, Matt Ryan, I mean, Matt Ryan crushed
0: the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Anyways, there's a, a vote of confidence from for the Zach Wilson Jets no, for you. I'm 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 in on the Jets. I'm in <laughs> on the
1: Jets. Seriously, I've been in on the Jets all year, but I'm out on that. I think that that line is way too low. I'm fading your people's pick. I wish all I could right. bet against your pick in
0: particular. There you go. Maybe we'll come up with a way for you to do that. Well, uh, I mean. Playnow already has. Thank goodness. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Playnow. That is today's People's Picks brought to you by Playnow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Canucks Central is next. It's Sportsnet 650.